The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Amen. You're wonderful people. Would you stand? Happy Labor Day to you folks. Hope you have a lot of hot dogs, hamburgers tomorrow, whatever you do on Labor Day. I hope you have a great, great day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak today on, on Labor Day. I'm going to talk about labor. I'm going to talk about labor. And uh, this may not be the most exciting message you've ever heard, but I hope it will be one of the most informative messages you'll ever hear because I think it's important that Jesus is on the job as well as Jesus being in the house. Yes. I think it's more important probably for Jesus to be on the job yes. Because people need to know the Jesus that we have on the inside of our lives. Amen? Amen. So today I'm going to just speak on two words. I'm going to talk about take Jesus. I'm going to speak on take Jesus. Reed, I think, drew that picture. No, he didn't. He just found it. But Reed, <laughs> you're going to see these, these things are a lot larger today than they normally are. Because Reed has discovered I can't see without my glasses unless I have big stuff. And so the scripture is going to be mighty massive today. And I think, I'm going to tell you, it's for the balcony, but it's really not. It's for me, all right? All right? And we are, we are, we are, uh, uh, we are online right now. And all you people that are listening online, may God bless the word to you. Let's clap for the Lord before we sit down. And you may be seated. God bless you. On July the 4th, 1776, King George III of England entered into his diary. Nothing of significance happened Today, nothing of significance happened today. We'll go back and revisit that after a while. For most Americans, tomorrow is a holiday, Labor Day. Some opinions, it's the most hypocritical of all the holidays, people say. It's just hypocritical. Because if Labor Day is a celebration of the unique rights and freedoms that we have as workers in our nation, and if we're really thankful that we have jobs while some don't, and if we're really serious about labor being a blessing, then we should go out to our bosses on Labor Day tomorrow and tell him, I'm going to work today, and I'm going to do it for free, just for the joy of working for you. But no, we're not going to do that, are we? Most of us will say, I don't want to work on Labor Day, but I do expect to make wages today. That's what we'll say. We may not be quite as dedicated to the celebration of labor as we thought. It's just a good holiday. It's the last of summer. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you really like your job? Anybody like their job in this house? Three, three hands. How many of you look forward to going to work on Monday morning because you really miss seeing your boss on Saturday and Sunday? How many of you miss your fellow workers so bad you can't wait to get back and just see how they made the weekend? We have one. But she's from Puerto Rico. And she hasn't caught on to the American way yet. Now, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you're in the minority. Surveys reveal that 65% of Americans who are working are unhappy with their jobs, and that's a conservative estimate. Many of them go to work because they have no other choice. They have this little poem, I owe, I owe. So it's off to work, I go. Most would say they're unhappy with what they do because it's the same old grind, the same old routine. 
day after day. It's Monday to Friday. It's Monday to Friday. And we don't have any words for Monday except ugh. But we say TGIF on every Friday because we really mean that. Tennessee Ernie Ford sang a long time ago, you load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. He said, St. Peter, don't call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Someone else saying, up in the morning, out on the job, work like a devil for my pay. Fuss with my woman, toll for my kids, work till I'm wrinkled and gray. But that lucky old son has nothing to do but just roll around heaven all day. Just roll around heaven. And some of us want to be like that lucky old son someday. So we can just roll around heaven all day. But today I want to share with you what I believe will help you to see your work as an exciting <laughs> opportunity to serve the Lord in your life. See, the problem we have in America is that we have what we call sacred and we have secular. We have the sacred and we're in it right now. Clap your hands because you're in the house of God right now. That's beautiful. But when we walk out of here on a Monday, we walk into the secular. Sacred, secular, sacred, secular. And what we say, what, what, what we say that over here is the secular and over here is the sacred. Even back in the Old Testament, they'd point at the house of God and say that's sacred. They'd point at the high priest and say that's sacred. But they'd point at everything else and say that is secular. So we'd like to serve God, Pastor, but we spend most of our time and our days in a secular job. So we give God about an hour, hour and ten on Sunday, maybe another hour on Wednesday night, and that's about all for a lot of people. But now you can see that the sacred and the secular pattern in the Old Testament, but it wasn't in the New Testament. The Old Testament was the church and then work. But in the New Testament, there's a new teaching that comes that is so powerful because, you see, this does not become the house of God that we're sitting in. We are. We are the house of God. We are the temple where the Spirit of God abides. And it's not made by hand. It's made by God. And God walks with us and He walks in us and He walks beside us because He is that kind of God. And no matter if I'm here or I'm there, I still have the God factor in my life. So wherever I am, there is the temple of Almighty God. Clap your hands and rejoice because that's what the New Testament says. So there's no such thing as walking out of the sacred into the secular. It's just saying, I've got a God that's with me 24-7, 365, and I honor that Savior today. So I want to show you three things today, just three little things, and I'm going to give you four little, littler things. I'm going to give you seven things today that I think you need to get a hold of if you want to enjoy Enjoy your work. First of all, you've got to see everyday work as a service for God. A service for God. Do you realize that almost everything we do affects someone else? Do you realize that? Yes. We have food because the farmers plant crops and because they raise cattle. We have the beneficiaries of their labor. Jesus spent 30 years of his life, folks, helping his dad, his earthly father, in a carpenter shop in Nazareth. You know why? Because people needed houses and people needed yokes for oxen. And people needed tables and they needed 
chairs to sit in and beds to sleep in and Jesus worked. And every once in a while someone will come to me and say, you know, I never thought of it quite that way, Pastor, but that's the way it is. But at the same time, it reminds me of the awesome responsibility that we have. What we say and what we do are important and it makes a difference because others are affected by how we work. I've seen people that can praise the Lord with everything they have in this house and then go out and can't do a job on Monday or Tuesday. That's not good for the church. The Bible said we need to be excellent. Everybody say excellent. We need to be excellent that we can edify. The only way to edify the body of Christ and edify Christ is to be excellent. We don't need good. We don't need better. We need best in this hour. Amen. So we need to get good. We need to be good until we get better and get better until we get the best. And never rest until the good is better and the better is the best. Oh, I just made up a poem. But I'm telling you, it's time for the church to not only excel in the house, but the church to excel outside the house. It's time to take the Spirit of God from here to there. Can you say amen to that? Paul said in Romans 12 and 1, Therefore I urge you, he said, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service or your worship. When you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you're saying, I'm giving a spiritual service. But what you're really saying is I'm giving God worship with my life. And so we do work as service to our Lord. The second point I want to make to you is you serve God where you work. You serve God where you work. Not only is it a service, but you serve God. See, you say, but Pastor, you don't know where I work. You don't know my boss. They make movies about my boss. It's called bosses, horrible bosses. The kind of people I work with, the power struggles that go on at the job, the flirtations, the cursing. The dirty stories that are told, the pornography that's passed around, the lewd stories, the lewd jokes that are told at the water cooler. I know that. I know that happens. Ephesians 6 and 5 is a passage that I think is very appropriate today. It's addressed to to slaves in the Bible. But the closest thing to them today are workers (laughs) like you and me. Let's substitute the word worker for slave and listen to what God has to say in Ephesians 6 and 5. Put it up. He says, workers, obey your earthly masters with respect and with fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. In other words, obey them as you would Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor, but their eye, win their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. You've got to understand, folks, you're not working for them. You're working for Him. You're not under their dominion. You're under His dominion. And his world operates by different dynamics than the world that you're in. But you can walk out of here and live in the dynamics of the glory of God wherever you are in this life. And say amen to that. Clap your hands and rejoice in that because that's the truth. Paul said, even though your boss is a two-legged monster who's about as pagan as anyone you've ever seen, do your work for him as though you're doing it for the Lord. Pastor, if you knew my boss, you'd never suggest that. I may not, but I'm suggesting it because I don't know your boss. I work in a pagan office, in a pagan company. There's no way that Christian principles will ever change that. I want to take you back to the Old Testament, folks, and introduce you to a young man named Daniel. You've heard of him in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school. 
he was carried away captive to Babylon when Israel was captured by the Babylonians. As a young man, he had taken from Jerusalem where he was surrounded by people that believed like him and trusted the God of Israel like he did. But now he was totally in a pagan environment in Babylon, totally pagan. There was no God factor in Babylon. But as time passed, you got to get this, as time passed, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, saw something in this boy. He saw an excellent spirit. He saw a young man that had an excellent heart. Not that he ate the right food because he didn't eat his food. Not that he did that, but he saw an excellent spirit in him. And that excellent spirit, offered, he offered him a government job in his kingdom. He became a government bureaucrat. Now, if a lot of what we hear is true, if you want to get far away from God as you can, go to work in a, as a government bureaucrat. Work in Washington. <laughs> Serve in that kind of environment and you'll be about as far away from God as you possibly can be. But Daniel worked in a government office, sitting behind a government desk, doing his duties as a government bureaucrat, yet he was able to serve God. And Nebuchadnezzar respected him and blessed him and his faithfulness to God. And Daniel rose higher and higher among the leaders of the country under a king that was not a godly king. Wow, this is tough. And when he died, the Babylonian Empire began to disintegrate and was finally conquered by a man named Darius, King Darius. Now, he wasn't a Babylonian. He was of the Medes and the Persians. So a whole other nationality of people came. But it didn't change who Daniel was. You know, I didn't like them old Babylonians, but I like y'all. He didn't do that. He loved his God. And Darius saw what Nebuchadnezzar had seen in him. Isn't it amazing that two kings from two different nationalities, two different homelands, could see the same thing in a godly young man? I'm telling you, I don't care how evil your workplace is. You walk in there with the Jesus factor in your life, they're going to recognize something that they haven't recognized before. And after a while, they're going to be drinking the same tea that you're drinking, eating the same food you're eating, and they'll be sitting beside you someday in church right here loving God with you. Because there's something powerful about doing what God wants you to do. In fact, one day, Darius pushed him so far. Darius pushed him so far. He said, we've made, a, we've made an edict in this country that you cannot, you're not, you cannot pray to any other God. And Daniel said, sir, I'm sorry. I'm going to pray to my God. I'm going to turn my face to Jerusalem. I'm going to make prayers to that God. And Darius said, you know, Daniel, I've got to do it because I'm in politics. And I've, I've got to do this. I don't want to do it. I love you, son, but I've got to put you in a den of lions. And he did. He put him in a den of lions. And the next morning, God shut the mouths of those lions. And Daniel went to sleep on one of them's mane. And he woke up and he said, well, I'm all here. Evidently, they, they, was hung, they wasn't hungry for me. But Darius had had a bad night. King Darius had a bad night. In, in 620 of Daniel, the Bible said when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, what's this, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? He knew what Daniel was. He knew what he was when he threw him in. He knew what he was when he called the next morning. He knew he was a young man that trusted in God. Isn't it interesting that Daniel worked in a pagan environment? He worked in a pagan office. He worked for a pagan king. And yet the one thing that pagan king knew about Daniel was that Daniel served God continually. 
It's one thing, folks, to clap your hands in this house and worship God to the music and to the preaching. It's another thing to button up your jacket and say, I'm going out in this world and I'm going to take Jesus with me everywhere I go because we need to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ by just walking into businesses and changing the atmosphere. Boy, I feel like preaching today. I feel like talking today about the workplace. Do your fellow workers know that? Do they... Do you try to serve God in your environment? Have you seen yourself as a walking temple of God? Have you been able to put God first where you work so that your fellow workers know that you're trying to serve God? Well, Pastor, you know Daniel was extraordinary, and I'm just ordinary. If you're ordinary, thank thank the Lord. Thank Him. Because there's some people not even ordinary. He made more ordinary people than He did anybody else. He doesn't make many geniuses. Some people think they are. He don't make many. He didn't make a lot. He didn't make a lot of five talented people, but he made a lot of ordinary people. And God delights in taking ordinary people and infusing them with extraordinary power. And when an ordinary person goes to an ordinary workplace determined to be faithful to God, God can do extraordinary things through him or her. And God is always glorified when that happens because it's not the person, it's the God in the person. God needs a bigger hand clap than that. We're talking about laboring. We're talking about the field of labor. I don't need that. God needs that. He's the God. The last thing I want to tell you is all of us are ministers. Everybody say all of us. We're all ministers, no matter who we are or where we are. At times people say to me, I wish I could do what you do, Pastor. I wish I was a pastor or a preacher. I want to tell you, when I was 16 years old, the day I turned 16, my dad took me down to the store and said, my boy's 16, he, he wants a job, and you're going to give him one. This boy needs to work. Yes, sir. And I started sacking groceries and stocking groceries, and from the time I was 16 to the time I was about 21, I worked. I worked in department stores. I worked unloading and loading freight for Red Ball Freight Company in Houston, Texas. I became a full-time preacher after that, and I, I know where you're coming from. I know a bit about the language and the things that go on in the secular world. Man, we'd have breaks at that, at that Red Ball Freight Company, and I'd hear things. I was just a kid. I was in college. I was in, I was in seminary, for crying out loud. And I was hearing things, and I said, oh, God, Jesus, help me, Lord. But I want you to understand that I am no more a servant of God now than I was then. I had no boy come by one day and say, hey, you want to have some fun? I said, depends on what the fun is. He said, man, we're going to go out and we're going to have a time and a, and a half tonight. We're going to have a time. He said, we know this place and girls will meet us there and we'll have a time. I said, y'all having dates? Oh, no, no dates, just, just a fun time. I said, what do you call fun? And he talked talk about fun to me. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I got church tonight. Thank God I had church tonight. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's amazing. In fact, one of them asked me one day, he said, man, do you like women? I said, oh, yeah. I love women. This is the workplace. I like women. He said, well, I began to wonder if you liked them or not. <laughs> I like women. But it's in the workplace. You have to be a servant of God. The Bible teaches us that we're ministers no matter what our job description or workplace might be. If you're a Christian, you're a minister of Almighty God. God may call you from that workplace someday to full-time ministry. If He does, you need to respond.
But you will be no more of a servant then, now, than you were then when you were in the workplace. Because everybody is a minister. In fact, your ministry is right now. Put it on the screen. Wherever you are, that is your sphere of ministry. So if you walk into a grocery store, if you walk into a schoolhouse, if you walk into a business place, if you're a banker somewhere, if you work for the IRS, if you're an attorney downtown, if, you are, if you're a doctor in your, in, your, in, your, in your practice, wherever you are, you are a minister of the kingdom of Almighty God wherever you are. Come on, let's, let's accept that and receive that in our hearts today. You say, well, I'm a victim of circumstances. I have this job because I couldn't get the one I wanted. I have to make a living, so here I am, and I hate every minute of it. Daniel was a victim of circumstances. Let me ask you, why was Daniel in Babylon? I've always asked this. Why was he there? And, of course, the answer is that the Babylonian army took him to Babylon, but that's not what the Bible says. Notice in Jeremiah 29 and 7, God says, I have carried you into exile. I put you there. I've carried you from Jerusalem to Babylon. God said, I put you there on purpose. I wanted to surround you with pagans because I saw something in you that is greater than what's around you. And I saw that you could change the atmosphere that I put you in. It's not that the Babylonian army took you there. I put you there because I wanted to see how good you could work in that environment. We've heard the old adage that one bad apple spoils the whole barrel. And we take that for face value, but the Bible says that we can overcome evil with good. The Bible reverses that. It's not one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. It's we can overcome evil with good. Come on. Somebody say, I can change the environment in my office, in my workplace. So you're in a secular workplace. You're working next to a pagan. See it as a God-given opportunity. That person whom you work with every day, whose eyes you look into, whose voice you hear, who shared hopes and dreams with you, who's told you about the new car they bought, about the kids and family, doesn't it make sense that that person is the one, is the one God would like to see you leading to the Lord? I've often said this, that if you just, my dad, my dad is, was a great quoter. He was a great quoter. And he told me one time, he said, son, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's so simple. But what he said was this, live the life. Just live it. Just live to be the person that you need to be for the Lord. And watch God. Said, when you walk in a room, let the room light up. Don't let everybody think the lights just went out. <laughs> just let the, let the room light up when you walk in the room, just simply because you have God in your life. Now, I want, I want to... I want to call this what I, I want to call it lifestyle evangelism. Now, it's just what it is. It's, it's, it's not going out and saying, well, I'm going to go win some souls today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I got my trusty word. I'm going to go out in the street corner and I'm going to preach. Hallelujah. I'm going to scream until they come to me. No, 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 no. No. They'll come in that paddy wagon to get you. They'll have them white coats on, and you'll have one on in a minute. But you can't get out of yours. It's called the straight and narrow jacket. There's four things about lifestyle evangelism I want to talk about, and then I'll let you go. Number one, if you're going to be a lifestyle evangelist, you don't need to be a bragger. Don't brag. Don't brag. I have seen so many people. In fact, I distanced myself one time. I had, used to have a, a, a guy in this church that was... 
Mm. He was he was tough. Everybody was wrong and he was right. Everybody was out of step and he was the only one in step. And I tried to be a friend to him and I, I took him to a place one time and he saw this guy and he said, watch this, Pastor. I'm going to show you how to win a soul. What? He's going to show me how to win a soul. He goes over and they almost get in a fight because they start arguing about the truth and the doctrine and whatever. And he's just nailing this guy and this guy's nailing him back because the guy was smarter than he was. And after a while, I saw him kind of looking over to me like I need some help, and I just went out the door. <laughs> and he said, Pastor, where'd you go? I said, oh, I had to, had to get outside a little while. I'll, I'll be all right. Me and that old boy never went to lunch again because he didn't have the right style of evangelism. You don't walk in bragging about how wonderful and righteous you are and what you used to do and how you used to drink and how you used to carouse and how you used to run around in your or a woman run around on her husband, a man run around on his wife. You don't do that. You don't, you don't do that and say, now look what, look what God's made of me. Ha, ha, ha. I'm a Christian. <laughs> this is a Christian. People say, what? Somebody deal with ignorant over here. Don't, don't be a braggart. Don't be a braggart. Don't put people down by bragging of what you came from and what you, don't do that. The second thing you don't need to do, you don't, you don't need to nag. You don't need to nag on people. You don't need to carry your Bible around and when you hear them curse, say, let me show you something here. The Bible said, thou shalt not swear. God's going to get you, boy. Or some old boy comes to work drunk one day. Uh-huh, I got a scripture for you. All drunkards shall have their part in a lake of fire. You're going. And we know that's in the Bible. But you're not going to win people to Christ by bragging on what you are and nagging on what they're not. Can I get a witness? And the third thing you don't need to do is you don't need to lag. You don't need to lag. We got a lot of laggers. Laggers. You know what a lagger is? They lag behind. You know, there's people that just work to avoid work. Yeah. Well, I came to work today and I got this neck ache. Mm. Mm. My neck's really bothered me. Man, I don't think I can't hardly turn my neck. I'm going to need a lot of help today. We got anybody new in the office that don't know what kind of lagger I am? Bring them in. I won't do my work. You know what a child of God ought to do? Let me tell you. A child of God ought to be the first on their post. Oh, I'm preaching now. You ought to make the coffee. You ought to have the coffee ready for everybody. You ought to have donuts every now and then. And after a while, the boss will give you a raise to go get donuts, and you'll have cash left over to buy you some Slotskis for lunch. That's how God operates. You start doing something for God, and God will make up the difference and bless you on the top side of it. You need to be the person that is so comfortable to be around that people can come and say, Wow, I want his work ethic. I want that person's work ethic. I want what she has. You're not lagging. You're working for the kingdom of God because it's not about that boss. It's about him. Yeah. It's taking Jesus to the workplace. 
You don't need to brag. You don't need to nag. You don't need to lag. And you don't need to sag. I'm not a funny person, but I just, this just blows me away. These are the words that I've been wanting all my life, and God popped them in my brain. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You know what, you know what, you know what, you know what a sag person does? They're Jesus at church, and God knows whatever out there. And many times, sagging people, sagging people, change and go back to their old lifestyle because they can't live the overcoming life in their office in that space you know the greatest compliment you could ever have the greatest compliment you could ever have is when I get in trouble there's somebody in this office that I know will be there for me and it's that person right over there we don't need people that they point someplace else we need people in this house that to say that's the one that I would go to if I had problems in my life and that problem's going to arise and they're going to come they're going to walk over to you. I know when I was just a little old boy, 18 years old, I had what I thought was the crisis of my life. And I was just in a room and nobody knew it, but I was overstanding just kind of against the wall. And tears were just running down my face. No, I wasn't yelling. I wasn't wailing. I was just crying, just sobbing because something had gone wrong in my life. And I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know what to do. And a man that I didn't even know a father figure walked over to me, sensed from behind that I had this problem, and come and put his arm around me and said, Son, can I just tell you to turn it to the Lord? Just give it to Jesus? And I looked at him and I thought, Who are you to tell me this? And I saw the kindest eyes, and I saw the kindest expression, and I saw the sweetest expression on that man's face, and I said, Yes, sir, I'm going to do that. And I did. And you know what? I've never forgot that man. He's probably blessed thousands of people, but I've never forgot him. That's the last time I ever saw him. The last time I ever saw him. But I remember him on this Sunday morning talking about taking your Jesus to work. It's an amazing thing to take Jesus to work. And when you do, folks, when you do without a bragging spirit, when you do without a, a nagging spirit, when you do it without a lagging spirit when you do it without a sagging spirit all of a sudden people are saying wow that's the person that I want to be a part of you know what I know about Houston right now I want to I want to talk about Houston before I close you know what I know about Houston right now there's a lot of churches over there that have stepped up that have done some noble things with people that were in trouble and when people are in trouble and you step up to help them they're going to love you for the rest of their life I still remember the man that blessed me when I was 18 years old. They're going, and there's, there's some Houston churches going to grow in the next few months because people are going to say, if they're that kind in a storm, how great will they be when the clouds are parted and the sun shining? Come on. They're that way in a storm. They're that way in a storm. We have a friend who passed the church that's the number one distributor in the Houston area, pastors in Pearland, that the president and the senator and the governor went to their church yesterday just to honor them because they've been giving out so many, so many utensils and so many groceries and so many necessary things. 
I have another young man that I've admired since he was just a baby boy. I've known him since he was a pup. And they've saved over 500 people from disaster. They brought them home in boats. That's going to be remembered by somebody. It's not saying, look at the religion we have. Look at the God we have. It's just saying, this is what we do. This is who we are. We are here for you because Christ is in us. And we can't get you in the church, so we're going to bring the church to you. And I close today. So the Lord, the Lord told the Israelites how to live over there in Babylon. I just didn't put it on the screen. I just want to read it to you, and I want you to get it real good in your heart now. 29th chapter of Jeremiah, verse 5 and 7. You can, 5 through 7, you can read this for yourself. Here's, here's how I want you to live as my children. Now, these people are in Babylon. Here's what he said. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Grow, grow, grow. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's how you live in a pagan world. You just take Jesus everywhere you are. And when they ask you to do things that's outside the lines, you say, no, but we're going to have to get rid of you. No, they won't get rid of you. They'll need you one day because the God that we serve is a God that can help everybody. Amen. Clap your hands and rejoice at the word of the Lord today. Amen. 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 Dr. Taylor, would you step here just right here with me just a minute? I love this man. Now, here's one thing that I want to share in closing, okay? I want to share this in closing. If somebody ever comes to you and say, pray for me, just pray for me. I want to share something with you. This, this, is, this is good stuff. It's not deep. It's good. Don't say, I'll pray. Say, do you mind if I pray now? Amen. If they ask you to pray, they know that you know who you're praying to. And just simply take their hand. You don't, have, you don't have to pray the vocabulary. You don't have to pray for an hour. Jesus is against those long prayers. But if you just pray succinctly, Lord, this person has a problem. This person has a need. This person has an offense. This person has something buffeted in their life. This person has a sickness. But God, I know that you're able to help and heal anything in their life. And on that name of Jesus, I pray over this person. Let it be in the name of the Lord. Thank you, brother, for letting me pray. That's all there is. I love you, Dr. Al. That's all there is. That's all there is. That's it. When that tough time comes, when that tough time comes, they're going to say, I remember somebody prayed for me one day, Neil. God. And I want... I want that Jesus that they have. I want that Savior that they have. And you know what? One day you'll look down to the right side of your pew, the left side, and there's going to be a daddy and a mother and three kids, and she's expecting another kid. You'll win six in one prayer because they know that you took Jesus to the workplace. What's all about? What's all about? You got it, didn't you? You got it. It's a part of us. 
It's our life. It's not just here, it's there. Stand to your feet and rejoice. Clap your hands and rejoice because the Lord is going to help us in this hour. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Can I tell you, can I tell you, we're still, we're still filming. Can I, can I tell you something? You are my fulcrum. This church service is my fulcrum. You're the balance beam of my day. I had a first service. I have a third service. But you're my balance beam. You're the fulcrum. And how service goes in second service is how the day is going to be. And I want to go home today thanking God because I think I empowered some people today. I think I've empowered people by the word of the Lord today. And we need to be empowered by the word of God. We need to be empowered blessed by the word of God, but empowered to do great things for the kingdom. Take somebody's hand there beside you. We're going to have a prayer like this today. Take your, take your hand there beside you. And I'm going to bless this whole congregation. And I'm going to ask you to let the word of God get into your heart. Receive it with faith and watch God do a great work in your life and in your business. Amen. Dear Father, in Jesus' name right now. We bless you on this Labor Day weekend. We bless you. We thank you for the privilege and the joy, just the joy, Lord, of being blessed, being blessed in your house. We love the sacred moments that we have with you. We honor them, but we also understand we have a secular time in our life, and that time is coming when we walk out this door. Now, God, I ask you to let us have the Jesus in our hearts as we walk into restaurants today, as we walk into our workplace on Tuesday, as we go back to the place of our work. Let the glory of the Lord come down upon our lives and let us walk in that favor and in that faith and give us of your kingdom of which will be no end because, Lord, we can overcome evil with good. In Jesus' name, bless this congregation and bless these people in the workplace. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and everybody said amen.